CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Andersonville Chamber of Commerce hosts Andersonville at Home for the Holidays, a virtual variety show streaming online this Sunday, December 13th at 7 p.m. Tune in for the holiday tunes, warm feels, and shop, dine, celebrate, and self-care from the small business community that needs your support. The program premieres on both the Chamber's Facebook and YouTube with live commenting during the show. For more information, go to andersonville.org. I, um, right now, um... Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Hello? That was Ricky Hendon, the great Ricky Hendon. I love Ricky Hendon, and I love that song. And, D, I, I share your love of that song. And you know who else loves that song, D? Who? A certain Romana Hussein from the Chicago side. I saw her. I saw her. Like, yeah, I kind of like, Romana, you were a little dancing a little bit there to that. Oh, I actually wasn't, but you know, my <laughs> mask on six feet away, she was singing along. So, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was Ricky Hendon, uh, the former alderman, the former state senator who came on the show and uh, unveiled his. Um, he's also a singer and a comedian. Uh, and so it's become a fan favorite here. Uh, at least I'm a, I, I like the song. All right, Ramana Hussein, Chicago Sometimes editorial, uh, edit, editor and columnist. A lot to talk about. Um, I guess you want, let's uh, talk about, uh, you want to give a shout out to somebody? Uh, some You said you asked to talk about uh, your editor's uh, father who passed on a little uh, sure, COVID. Sure, sure. Um, and first of all, I wanted to say happy Hanukkah to you and your family. Thank you very much. We had a, a lighting that's just my wife and myself. My kids have scattered. Uh, but, um, it was really nice. We, we lit the candles on the first night last night, not a very religious family, as you know, but there's certain rituals that we practice and I uh, sent like pictures to everybody and it was nice. It was nice. really nice. Yeah. And, and like, and like I told you, I, I made a menorah in woodshop class. We used to do that in our junior high. So me and my older sister had to make them. Mine was really bad because the legs are really like. I had to keep sanding them down so there's barely any legs. But my sister really had a nice one, and we had it displayed. My parents had no idea what it was. We called it a candelabra. But, <laughs> but uh, we had a menorah in our house, two menorahs in our house growing up. One was That's better, wild, one was, wasn't as nice. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, on to sadder things. It's just been, like, a rough couple of days uh, for me personally. Last week I found out my um, brother-in-law's father died, um, and he died in India, so – Obviously, with the coronavirus pandemic, he couldn't go to India and miss the funeral. And uh, and and meanwhile, um, then like on Sunday, we found out a family friend passed away from COVID. And then on Monday, we got a you know found out that our um, 
boss, our editor, Steve Warmbier's stepfather passed away and he ended up writing a column about him passing away and he went to a nursing home and there was uh, some workers or an assisted facility living. Some workers got sick there and he ended up getting COVID and passed away. So that he wrote a really good column. It was in yesterday's Sun-Times. Uh, if you pick up Thursday's paper, it was really poignant. Um, he talked about how his father followed all the rules, um, yet still got COVID, and he didn't think that he would be writing something like this, and he did. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that it's it's been tough. I know 2020 has been tough, and, you know, a lot of us know someone that had gotten coronavirus. Most people obviously have you know, overcome their battle with coronavirus. But, you know, there are people who have been casualties and I'm getting to know people who've lost family members because of that. And I'm knowing people who died because of coronavirus. So just a difficult time right now. It is. And uh, I don't want to repeat the conversation that we've been having already, uh, but I just want to point out what it's so bizarre to to be a, going through the news cycle uh, Ramana, because it's, it's there's so many conflicting messages. So this, this is what you're talking about, the ongoing uh, deaths. Uh, our newspapers filled with stories about deaths. Some beautifully written obituaries. Uh, Marina O'Donnell will be coming on the show uh, next week. Chicago Sometimes obituary writer talking about uh, the, uh, some of the the deaths this year. She writes so many stories. Mark Brown has written many oh, yeah. great, beautiful articles or columns about people who've died. The New York Times. Uh, has dedicated countless uh, articles to the lives of people we may not know about who died of COVID. And then at the same time, there's these uh, front page article I'm looking at right here. Uh, Pfizer's vaccine clears a big step toward approval. In the Sun-Times, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the CPS defiantly saying the schools reopen. It's just like all these mixed messages that we're being bombarded with. And I think most people, my guess is, is that so many people are just tuning it out and doing whatever they want anyway. What's your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I, I'm probably not a hundred percent perfect either myself. Um, I, I, I think my, I guess everybody has their weakness or something that they really like to do that they're still doing that they shouldn't be doing. Um, I am not an anti-masker. I wear my mask whenever I, I go anywhere to the store, if I'm in any enclosed areas. But with me, it's like I still have to see my family. And I don't, you know, linger at my, you know, linger at many places. But I do see my siblings occasionally for a few minutes. I have my mask on the whole time. I guess that's my um, Achilles heel. But, you know, I think we have to try and, and, you know, the, the, the least interaction we have, the better. I mean, I haven't gone and I love traveling and I haven't gone anywhere. I mean, the only place I went this year is Galena, Illinois <laughs> for a day. So I, you know, I, we do have to make sacrifices. That's something I remind myself every day. It's like the more you stay home, the better. I like going out and, you know, my weekends are pretty much just sitting at home, sitting in front of the TV and watching Netflix for <laughs> other stream. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think we're all trying, but yeah, there are, there, but there are definitely some people who are, don't care. You know, there's some people who don't want to wear the mask and then there's some people who like, just like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about restaurants in a bit. And I understand like businesses struggling and they're doing whatever they can to stay afloat. So I do have some sympathy there, but it's like, everybody just has to try. And all of us, and I'm talking to myself too. I'm like, just try as much as you can. And, you know, you're talking about the schools, but you know, look at all these like college um, sports teams that are playing. They're still playing. So, you know, that gives a mixed message too. like, you know, you're supposed to stay home, but then people are watching. They're still college sports, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, my husband, my husband, I have to say, my husband was on that show talking about, you know, Northwestern. And didn't he say he was going to boycott college football this year? Mick Dumkey, uh, it was, uh, we did that interview about two months ago, I want to say. Uh, yeah, just so and- you know. He is what he is watching football. He was watching. What? Uh oh. What? He he told me he claimed on the show that he said he's probably not gonna follow through on his vow not to watch. Yeah, one day he had like the radio on and the TV on. So I told him <laughs> I thought he's not gonna watch college sports this year. Oh no, he's been watching all of it. The other day he turned off his he turned off his record player so he could watch the end of Northwestern's basketball game. So oh, my God. <laughs> Mick Dunkey. He never, he, I just talked to him the other day. He didn't, admit, he, he didn't acknowledge. Oh, he, he, I told him I was going to uh, tell on him. And then he goes, I already said on this. He, he claims that he already said on the show that it's, he's probably not going to be able to, you know, I don't re- I, listen. It's a couple months ago, but the whole show was about him boycotting football. I don't recall the part where he said, "I'm probably not going yeah, to follow through." Have him back on the show and talk about it because he claims that he told you he's not. He's probably not going to follow through on his boycott. He said, uh, it, but he broke it pretty quick. I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's just unbelievable. Uh, by the way, Mick will be back. He'll be one of our. We're doing a whole series of interviews. Maureen O'Donnell, I talked about. Uh, and uh, Delmarie Cobb will be another one. Just uh, old friends of the show will be coming back at the end of the year, talk about the year that was and what we look forward to. And uh, Mick will definitely, I've already booked him, uh, so he'll be coming. I'm probably doing a little, probably do a little Bob Dylan talk. Uh, and uh, But you could roast him about the college football. The college I'll be football. roasting him like crazy, and I'll watch him duck and die. He's been covering politicians so much, Ramon, he's starting to sound like one. Well, yeah. well I didn't actually say that, Ben. Uh, what I said was... <laughs> anyway, uh, so I did not know that. Uh, claims that you knew, but I said, no, I don't think you knew. So this was my chance to throw that in there. So yeah. I think there are mixed messages. You know, people are getting confused and people who are trying. But, you know, yeah, I think, you know, for someone like Mick, he loves college sports. So that's like, you know, he's still watching it, but he's talking about it. He's like, you know, all these teams couldn't play because someone there was a COVID outbreak. So, you know, we know we're not supposed to, but I guess it's human nature to, you know, try to do things, try to see people. But you just got to kind of curb it a little. I mean, we've all had to make sacrifices. Well, that the college football is all about money. Yeah. Oh, I it's know. all about money because there's TV contracts that uh, have to be met. Uh, so that's what that's all about. And, yeah, but and, don't yeah. we all think it's all about money? I mean, in the in the summer, the beaches were closed, but then the bars and restaurants were open. Yes. Um, listen, don't get me started on the bizarre nature of the way our city has dealt with this um, crisis where they could. I think when I look back at 2020, uh, Romana, we, I remember you and I having so many conversations about this. Closing the beaches and closing the lakefront was just such a overreach that wasn't going to help because now we all know that walking outside is perhaps the least possible way you're going to catch it you know what i'm saying yeah but it was like that act that Lori life it's said, i'm gonna close those beaches to show you i agree i agree i mean when the weather's warm i take my chance i just go out whenever like, yesterday it was like 50 degrees but it felt like 80 degrees with the weather <laughs> had and so me and my younger sister we went out to eat i mean we're eating outside and it just felt great <laughs> just you know we we're eating outside in a tent that was opened and there's open air it just like so I take advantage whenever the weather's nice, I'm outside. Yeah. So 
that's the least risky thing we can do. Yeah. All right. Since we're discussing this, let's, uh, I've been pounding this drum all week. Tom Tunney, alderman of the 44th Ward, uh, opened up his restaurant. And Sather's had a uh, cinnamon roll speakeasy uh, in the back. You, you had a special knock or whatever, and they let you in. The most blatantly hypocritical act I believe I've seen out of a Chicago politician. Uh, well, at least since uh, J.B. Pritzker took his toilets out. Uh, no, that this is far worse than that. This is the most blatantly hypocritical act of a Chicago politician of this century. Your thoughts about this, Romana? Yeah, as I mentioned before, I do understand a lot of the restaurants that are struggling. But when you're a politician, and, and this is what we're talking about a little, the mixed messages. Um, he's the one in Chicago so far that's been caught you know, basically doing something opposite of what he's telling people to do. We've heard of this happening like all across the country or politicians are like stay at home. And then they, we find out that they flew across the country for some event or they said stay at home and then they end up going to a restaurant, you know, when they're supposed to be closed. But yeah, Tom, Tom Tunney is, has been telling people to, uh, you know, stay at home as much as possible, which is the right thing to do. Um, but then he was having people come into the restaurant. His like regular customers were coming into the restaurant, I think, in Lakeview and were eating inside. He's been cited since he admitted on Monday and apologized about it. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it's definitely hypocritical. You can't say one thing and then, you know, have all these other restaurants struggle and then meanwhile, you're, you know, making money off of people that, you know, have been coming to your restaurant for years. And I, I, I mentioned this to you, too. I like I don't like cinnamon that much. So I never understood what the big deal was at Ann Sather's. I'm not saying it's a terrible place to eat, but I can think of other places to eat. That's well, I, I have to say I've been uh, I've been really uh, pounding away at Tom Tunney all week. It's uh, I think it's blatantly hypocritical, but I do enjoy uh, those cinnamon rolls. I must admit. Yeah, uh, that's, that's I gotta say, I don't like I don't like cinnamon that much. So I never like understood the appeal. Like people, I mean, there's like last time I went to uh, the Ann Sather. I think uh, it's the one near rogers park i don't think it's in rogers park it might be in edgewater but uh it was like a long you know we had to wait a few minutes like maybe half an hour before we got seated it was just jam-packed so it's a very popular place so yeah if he's gonna have like his regular customers he's gonna definitely have like a lot of people lining in but you can't say like as a politician you can't own a business and tell everybody else to shut down their businesses while you're enjoying you know, absolutely making a buck and, you know, on, on your regular customers. So it's definitely hypocritical and we'll see what happens. He has an administrative hearing in February, but I think up to like, I think he faces um, up to like 10, a little over $10,000 in fines for the two citations he got at the Lakeview location. What a slap on the wrist. Meanwhile, he gets to be the chairman of the zoning committee uh, in the Chicago City Council, arguably the second most powerful position in the city council. He ha he oversees every single development deal that goes down in the city council because these developers need uh, that council's approval. So they'll be probably pumping campaign contributions into his kitty. So, you know, the $10,000 fine will be more than made up by all the campaign contributions he get. What a hypocritical city we live in, Romana Hussein. That's me. And so, by the way, just thinking of Tony, I think of his uh, his rivals in the neighborhood, the, the uh, Ricketts. I didn't mention this before when we were talking, but um, a, a story broke this week that one of the Ricketts, Todd Ricketts, was thinking about running for governor of Illinois. I don't know if you saw that story. And I thought of you when I uh, saw that, because so many times, Romano, we talk about how we struggle uh, as Cub fans. I've pretty much given up on the Cubs. I 
always rooted for the Cubs and the White Sox. I never differentiated. I thought that was ridiculous that Chicagoans did that. But I'm so disgusted with the Ricketts and the way they operate uh, and the prejudices of the family and their pro-Trump view that I pretty much given up on them. The notion of a Ricketts running for governor just seems preposterous well, in this state. Who do you want for governor, Mancow or Ricketts? Oh, my God. <laughs> Mancow! Ah. <laughs> uh, God, could you imagine if that was my choice? Yeah, I, I, I would write in Ramana Hussein. I would not. I would. I couldn't vote for either one. Um, I. Wow. What a. Well, that being the Republican primary, so I wouldn't be uh, participating. But what? Uh, what's that? That's a possibility. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I can't see the Ricketts winning. The. the, the the name is just so reviled in so yeah, many. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he would. I don't think he would. I think he's somewhat smart. So I'm not saying I agree with his views, but I, I, I can't imagine he would be would run for governor. That's no. just thought. But I don't blame. I don't blame anyone who is a Cubs fan who doesn't support the Cubs anymore. I don't blame them. I'm still a fan, but I'm not the kind of fan that you know my husband or my brother is, where they like follow every single, you know move that the Cubs do. They watch every game. They listen to the games on the radio. Mick listens to every single game on the radio. I mean, he has it on in the background. I'm not, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. Like that's the one team that I really root for um, in general. It's always been my team, but I'm still, I, I still think I'll root for the Cubs. Cause, but that doesn't mean I'm rooting for the Ricketts, I guess. No, you're not rooting for the owners. By the way, uh, uh, let's leave the Ricketts and go to Trump briefly. And I want to give a shout out to one of your colleagues, uh, Neil Steinberg, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. You wrote an excellent column today, in my humble opinion. America stood strong against Trump's assault. And he had this one sentence uh, that he he consolidated some thoughts. That I had I had never put it together before, so I got to give Neil a shout out for doing it. And it's uh, he wrote, Trump came in slurring Mexicans and goes out trying to void the votes of black people. And it's just so astounding to me. So blatantly racist what uh, Trump and his Republican allies are doing. Um, his They're asking the Supreme Court to essentially throw out, vacate, as uh, Neil put it, Black votes, the vast majority of black, I guess the only black people they're going to allow to vote in this country are those who are voting for uh, Donald Trump. And that's less than 3% of the total black vote. It's, I, 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 you know, it's just, Romano, when I see them trying to do this, I'm like, how, how come this isn't, everybody's not screaming from the rooftops against it. And yet, 45% of the country is cheering them on. The the lunatic attorney general of Texas who uh, filed a suit was joined by 17 other attorney generals. Attorney generals, the chief lawmakers, are essentially (laughs) saying vacate black votes. I give Neil Steimer credit for putting it that way and framing it that way. And ever since then, I've been like, why is it, Ramona, help me out here. Is, Is this country really that racist? Uh, it looks like it. I mean, I mean, even on election night, would any I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, there's no way uh, Joe Biden is going to like he's going to sweep this based on polls. But as we saw, it was a lot. I mean, who would have thought that Donald Trump, after all those four years, 
that he still came close, right? I mean, I know a lot of people said it wasn't that close, but it's like the fact that we had to like, you know, wait a couple of days before we finally knew who the winner was. Then we had to wait like for each single state. I mean, now all 50 states have certified that Joe Biden was the winner. Um, you know, well, they, they certified all the results and, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Biden was a winner in all the, a lot of these states where, you know, Trump thought he was going to win and they still can't accept it. And I just I just always play in my head, like, what if this was Obama? Would he even survive? And the fact that he isn't questioned as much as he, Donald Trump isn't questioned as much. you got to think that there. Yeah. A lot of people in this country are racist. That's a lot of our elected officials included. Yeah. Either. uh Either they're openly racist or they're afraid of racists uh, to defy racists. So they go along with it. And really, then what's the difference? Uh, but that's the part, uh, you know, when I when I when I think about this, the lawsuit, it's it's not just the insanity of the lawsuit itself, but it's the 17 other attorney generals yep. who have signed on to it. Yeah, uh, you, you would think by now, at least where a lot of, you know, you know, even Bill Barr was saying that there's no evidence of election fraud. And, you know, a lot of a lot of other people are coming out and saying, OK, yeah, you know, there's a lot of states that are saying, OK, they knocked um, or they rejected like, you know, Trump's bid to, um, you know, overthrow the results or just, you know, any any sort of legal intervention he was taken. But yet these you still have people who are, you know, hanging on to that thread. And that's just baffling to me. Yeah, they're holding on uh, for the Hail Mary. I, I don't think it'll pass. I don't, excuse me. I don't think the Supreme Court uh, will even hear the case. I hope they won't. But then there's always in the back of my mind just a little concern about some of the justices in the Supreme Court and their hatred for Democrats. So and, until it passes, uh, you know, I'm not going to take the deep breath. And by the way, it's not going to be over. Uh, Romana, you and I. I foresee this and all many of my other guests will be talking about Donald Trump throughout 2021. Um, as I, I think I said this to you uh, today, uh, MAGA controls the Republican Party and Trump controls MAGA and they aren't going anywhere. This is a story that's going to go on through 2021. For sure. All right. Let's uh, before we uh, move out uh, to uh, get your recommendations. One last thought. Uh, should Lakeshore Drive be named DuSable Drive? This is a story that ran in the Sun-Times uh, today. I say here, here, why not? Uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it, I, I think it would be, uh, I, I don't mind Lakeshore Drive. or It's supposed to be outer Lakeshore Drive. I think from Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard to 67th Street, they're proposing the Transportation, Transportation Committee is going to have some sort of um, meeting about um, the proposal to name it um, after the first settler, the first settler in Chicago. Um, I don't I don't think it's a bad idea. I will people be calling it um, DuSable Drive. I don't know. It'll probably take a few years before it kind kind of it gets acclimated on your tongue. I mean, a lot of us who grew up in Chicago or the Chicago area never really called Sears Tower (laughs) Willis. But um, no, I think with Lakeshore Drive, you know, the name is kind of it's even etched in memory. You know, all the baby boomers, you know, the song LSD. So um, by was that a local band? Yeah. How do you know that song? That's that's before your time. I know, but I I came of age in the '80s, and everybody would listen to '60s songs. So I remember that one song. It's like El Ellison or Eliota Haynes or whatever. It's very good. Yes. Um. Yeah. My younger sister just helped me up on that one, but um. 
but yeah, I, I, I know the song. I had it on my playlist growing up, um, you know, on my tape tape deck. So, you know, because it was about Chicago. So and we, we like that song. But I was just going to say, maybe maybe some people will have a hard time, like not because, you know, they can't call it Dusable, but it's something that they've always called Lakeshore Drive. Like my mom would probably still call it Lakeshore Drive you know, cause just cause she'd be like, Oh wait, what is it called now? So I, I think it's a good gesture. Um, we had the disabled museum and as Franz Spielman's article pointed out that um, a lot of the aldermen from the South side were pointing out that a lot of Northsiders have no idea, you know, even there was a museum named after Dusable, how many Northsiders have actually gone to Dusable museum. Yeah. Uh, so I think there are good points. Cause there's a couple, I think there's a couple other things named after him, but this is like uh, this would be like the biggest, you know, this is a huge chunk of the city. It's uh, it's a road that a lot of people take or it's a drive that a lot of people take. So I think it'd be a good gesture. Yeah. Alderman David or, uh, Moore of the 17th Ward on the south side is the one about proposing and championing this uh, legislation. And he was pointing out that he got some opposition uh, from people on the north side. Who, Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Uh, listen, uh, I, I hear you about Sears Tower. I, I still call it Sears Tower. I don't even think it's Willis Tower anymore. See these I, I, is, is, is this somebody else now? Then somebody else. These are all corporate deals. So people buy the naming rights. Yeah. So for a long time, you're gonna laugh at me, Romana. I refused to call the United Center the United Center. What I would call it Chicago Stadium. Yeah. Because uh what there was used to be this is before your time. There used to be a stadium where the Bulls played and the Blackhawks played called Chicago Stadium. I, I, and I, I was young. I'm old enough to remember that. Very, okay. Okay. Well, they played. It was a great, uh, old, the big barn on Madison, they called it. Uh, and then uh, Jerry Reinsdorf uh, and the Wartz family that owns the Blackhawks got together to put the, the deal and they demolished Chicago Stadium and they, they built the new arena, which they got naming rights for United Center. My attitude was, they're not paying me to call it the United Center. I'm calling it. And then that's the years yeah. wore on. I slowly dropped my the where the Sox play guaranteed rate. Oh, I know. <laughs> a long time to call um, the stadium. Like I used to call it when it was U.S. Was it U.S. Cellular? I used to call it. Um, I used to call it Comiskey Park. Yes. But yeah, but this is a little different because it's named after a settler, somebody that's like it's not someone that like is you know he's obviously long gone. He's not like vouching and he's not buying the rights to his name being slapped on it. This is someone who was part of history, and especially since we erase a lot of Black history and a lot of Black connections um, in this city, or have like very few landmarks named after any of the prominent Black leaders or Black. Um, Black notables in the city. I think, I, like I said, I think it would be a gesture. Uh, and uh, it probably it may actually pass. Uh, it it had been buried in committee, uh, and then uh, after uh, the George Floyd murder and the uh, the civil unrest, as David Moore calls it, uh, over the summer, it's been brought out of committee. So maybe Lori Lightfoot uh, will push it through the city council. All right, let's get to Romana's recommendations. Uh, I've got a bunch of recommendations I want to give. Uh, what's your chief recommendation of the week? Well, I was going to first point out that I saw Mank after you recommended it, mm. and it looks like I liked it more than you did. Yes. Uh, I was telling some of my friends about it, um, but most of my friends have not watched Citizen Kane. One of my uh, one of my family friends, he was like born in 1987, so he's really young, early 30s. He saw it, and he was like, I didn't get that movie. So I told him, I go, Mank reminded me of you. I think you need to watch it. And he goes, I don't want to watch that movie. <laughs> I thought it was good. I don't think it was, like, excellent. Um, Mick and I thought it was good because, you know, it was about this writer. Um, there was also a lot of commentary I saw on Twitter because Gary Oldman is supposed to be playing a 43-year-old man. Mm -hmm. And everybody 
he does not look like he's 43. Um, so there's a lot Ridiculous. of chatter. there's a lot of chatter on Twitter about that. Um, I thought it was good. I, I don't I don't think it was like my favorite movie of the year, but I thought it was decent. I thought I thought the perform. I know you said that you thought the performers are trying a little too hard, but and in, in, in their in the way they were talking in the dialogue. But as I noted to you, like in those movies that they made a long time ago, they used to talk a little weird when that clipped tone or. So maybe they're trying to imitate that. I don't know. What did you not like about it? I, I, I was looking f- uh, forward to that movie so much. Uh, it's sort of an insider's movie. Uh, it's about the making of uh, Citizen Kane. It's about Herman Mankiewicz, who was this legendary writer in Hollywood, who was supposed to be great uh, with the quips, one-liners, uh, would be knocking back booze and making great jokes and was really funny. And uh, it also gets into the story of Upton Sinclair's gubernatorial campaign I did in not- California. Yeah. So I learned something there. Yeah. So I, and that's, that's lefty stuff. So I know that really inside out. Uh, and I just was so disappointed. Uh, the, it was ponderous. Uh, the dialogue was heavy. It was dre- I just thought the dialogue was dreadful and I could not, I'm with you 100%. I am so sick and tired of old guys playing young guys and beautiful young women going crazy over them. And it's just like, can we get rid of this Hollywood? I mean, it's it. First of all, talk, if there was an actress that was in her sixties, I don't know how Gary, how old Gary Oldman was, but they would never let her play a 43 year old woman. They'd make a 20 year old woman play a 40, yes. 43 year old woman. Yes, it's absolutely absurd. Gary Oldham was too old for this role. And uh, and then it would just makes it. okay. if you're going to have him play uh, the Herman Mankiewicz, then just turn Mankiewicz into a 60 year old and have the women who play opposite him be 60 year olds. But no. They had to have it both ways. They took a 63-year-old man or whatever he is playing a 40-year-old man who's living or dating 20-year-old, 25-year-old women. I'm going, you guys, this is your fantasy, your weird fantasy that you, the producers or the writers or the directors have about how women look at you. That's what's going on, Romana. It's their fan. Well, oh, boy, and chef. We talk about this all the yeah. time. <laughs> Which- That's like everywhere. I mean, it all started with Woody Allen. Well, I think it wouldn't. I, I think this goes way back before Woody Allen. Just okay. But Woody uh, Allen definitely given like legit credibility by all these hipsters of the time. Like, oh look, he's so cool, and and I'm like, I, every time I I don't even I don't even watch that many Woody Allen movies, but I just look at him and I'm like, oh, give me a break. I don't think women will be flocking after him. That's just my opinion. Well, I have a confession to make, and this is really embarrassing. I'm really I have to make this confession. I cannot lie. I cannot allow. A lie to go out. I was a huge Woody Allen fan back in the day, uh, in the seventies, and then uh, Manhattan. Oh God! Everybody, everybody was a Woody Allen fan. Uh, yeah, back in the day in the seventies, I thought he was a pretty funny guy. But I'm so through with Woody Allen now. To the to the point you were making. Uh, all right, I am going to be watching his house. Uh, Sergio Mims, who is the uh, co-founder of the Black Harvest Film Festival comes in the show all the time and knows more about movies than any person I've ever met. Gave it 
like five thumbs up. So many thumbs up. He said, this is, you have to watch it. Uh, it's a must watch movie. He says it's a brilliant horror flick. It's on Netflix. And so I'll be watching that probably tonight. I've been, he told me about it on Tuesday. What is it called? His house. His house. Okay. Yeah. And, um, it's like a parable of immigrants from Africa living in England. Oh. It's a British movie. Oh. Uh, and he says it's it's absolutely brilliant. And just his his recommendation was so strong, Romana, that I have to see it just to see if I agree with him. Then bring him back in the show and have an argument with him if I, I don't. Watch it too. I'll, Mick doesn't really like horror shows, but I'll try to see if he wants to watch it. And if he doesn't, I'll watch it myself. I myself have been on an Indian kick, and I think it's because I haven't been to India. This is the longest stretch I haven't been to India in a while, and I'm kind of been thinking a lot about when the next time I'll go. So I don't know. On, on, I think on Monday or Tuesday, I started off, I, I was just looking at stuff on Hulu after work, just something to watch before dinner. And then I ended up watching this show called Evil Eye. It was really bad. But it was like this movie called Evil Eye. The, there was an actress on there from Glow. She plays the daughter. And then the actress from Mississippi Masala who plays opposite Denzel Washington. She's on this. I mean, it was it was like a good effort, but it just it was not very well made. And then I'm, I'm watching this new, this series about this is not a very uplifting subject, but this um, gang rape in India that caught a lot of traction um like the media and everybody was paying attention attention to this a couple of years back, but it's called uh, Delhi Story. But Delhi Story is how most Americans would pronounce it. So I'm watching that. But then I found out that um, so I'm watching that. It's about it's like an eight part series. So I'm watching that. It was it, I saw that it was popular on Netflix. And then there's this famous Bengali writer that wrote really like excellent like short stories and novels. Um, it's uh, his last name is Tagore. I'm I'm probably gonna slaughter his name because it's not a name that I'm common with, but it's Robin Dranath uh, Tagore. So there he has. There's like this 25 part series that um, it's like movies based on his short stories. So I think I'm gonna start that. It's like called short stories or stories of um, Robin Dranath Tagore. So I'm, I think I'm gonna start watching that. If it's good, I'll let you know. But so far I saw that it got like really good reviews so i'm gonna be watching that that's on netflix yeah it's on netflix I'll, I'll send you a link afterwards all right send me the link and uh i was i told you about this movie i got through the mail netflix an old movie an obscure movie uh, that i watched i don't even know how i found it somehow or other it i found it the movie you're talking about the puzzle, puzzle. and um the relevancy to uh, Indian uh, Bollywood movies is that the leading man was um, Irfan Khan. Did I pronounce his first name correct? I just know him as Khan. Uh, and that's good enough. This yeah. guy is a great freaking actor. Yeah, was. He passed away. Uh, yes, he did. Yes, like, he did. Um, but I urge that, you know, it's it's a movie that I don't think, I don't know if you can even watch it streaming anywhere. I got it off of Netflix or the mail, but it was just like uh, somehow or other, the director or producer talked uh, Irfan Khan into playing the the leading uh, role in this. It's an American movie uh, about a repressed uh, housewife from suburban New York uh, who uh, has an affair with Khan and they... Uh, they, they're great puzzle, put like jigsaw puzzle competition. I didn't even know about this. Like, did you know that there's jigsaw puzzle competitions? It's like almost like air guitar competitions. Although good air guitar competition. 
uh, but uh, not be good at Jigsaw. Anyway, so I heard. And then I'm going to close with this one. I told you I saw the preview. Dennis will get a kick out of this. I'm a big fan of Bob Odenkirk. I am too. A comedian. He's very funny. But every now and then, I think uh, actors who kind of play, who don't have tough guy roles, really want to play a tough guy. So Bob Odenkirk is going uh, the way of um, a tough guy. He's making a movie. I, I think it's called Nobody. I saw the previews where he plays a man whose family is threatened by these intruders. Uh, and then he just goes berserk and starts beating up. Uh, people and uh, seeking revenge and all of a sudden he's uh, excellent with guns and karate and I'm Bob Odenkirk for uh I mean I don't know I can't see it Bob Odenkirk uh playing a tough guy I I can't see that either but I mean I guess I shouldn't hate remember I told you right before we when we were talking before we went on air and how I was saying that when I was a teenager and Michael Keaton was Batman I'm like oh that's not a good Batman but I mean just because someone's unconventionally like not a superhero or a tough guy I mean that doesn't mean they can't play the tough guy so I guess maybe he wants to play uh you know he's usually cast as a certain character kind of like this goofball i don't know if you watch better call saul which i watch and i loved him in breaking bad um i think he's he plays like these misfit characters so maybe he wants to show that he can play a tough guy as well i can't see it i i see what you're saying it's kind of a stretch for me and maybe it's because we see him as a certain way but maybe he wants to prove his point and say that hey i can also play these like action type of guys and maybe maybe part of the joke is or maybe there's some sort of hint is you know he kind of has to learn how to shoot a gun yeah. i don't know uh, i'm gonna give it a shot uh i'm uh, gonna check it out uh unless it gets such abysmal reviews that it's not even worth it but just the thought the, the previews of odenkirk uh, you know like it shows them like punching people and karate you know and then pull the guns like you know how like when they get really good at guns like they, they put the gun together really fast yeah <laughs> and, yeah. and he, they never get shot themselves but they yeah. keep playing kind of like rambo it's like that's what i'm saying it's like he's he sounds like he's playing a rambo type of character that is exactly right all right romana uh Stay safe, stay sound. We'll uh, be talking to you next week. We're going to make an adjustment for your schedule. I'll talk to Dennis about that, but uh, you'll return next week before uh, the holiday breaks. So uh, we'll talk to you real soon, all right? I, I will. I want to tell, tell Dennis that I listened to, when you sent me a link to our last week's podcast, yeah. I, did hear, and I, hear, I did hear your recommendation about the Ben Shapiro oh, show. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't know if I'll, I'll be watching that, but I'll, I'll oh. keep it in mind for sure. It'll be, it'll be in, in the back of my mind when I, have things, when I run out of things to watch. Come on, Ravana, really? Really, Rana? Really? <laughs> really, Rana? Really? Watch it. Come on. Watch it. Oh, I will I will keep that in mind. <laughs> I found out of shows to watch at some point. All right, very good. Ramon Hussein, Chicago Sun-Times editor and columnist. Hey, Kyle on the live stream chat. Would you stop giving away spoilers to Citizen Kane? <laughs> okay, hasn't everybody seen Citizen Well, maybe not. Come uh, on. Millennia- millennials may not have seen it. I've seen Citizen Kane, conservative estimate, uh, 442 times. Oh, and, and uh, Jay Marie's comment, Ben is so funny about age. Dude, Chicago Stadium wasn't that long ago. LOL. Um, let, well, hold on. You're right, uh, Jay Marie. It was... The last year the Bulls played in the stadium would have been 1993. So that's already just saying. Help me with the 27 27 years ago.
So um, a lot of millennials, uh, Jay Marie, probably don't know about it. Just saying. But yeah, for, for someone like me, uh, and maybe Jay Marie, I don't want to say Jay Marie's as old as I am, but so for people of my generation, Chicago Stadium was a cool place to go to. And hey, the Ben Jarofsky Show loves listeners of all generations. All right. Don't get it twisted. All right. Yeah, we even love, uh, what, what, what did we call them? The, the yuppies, modern day yuppies who go to uh, Northside bars that are supposed to be closed. Well, I don't think but, we came up with an appropriate name for him. Kyle had a name for him, but I don't think we should say that. We appreciate them, too, if they listen to the show. Repugnant assholes, I believe. It was. Okay. <laughs> All right. Very good. Ramon Hussein, thank you very much. Every Friday on the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. As Michael Zalewski and Steve Brown will tell you, back home and home. Go Cardinals! <laughs> Steve Brown, yeah, I agree. Go Cardinals! Back home and home. Like home, Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. Update Rock Island. Update Rock Island. Update Rock Island. We have Thursday night groove concert. Get your groove on with the class of 82 at Schreiber Park. Thursday night groove begins at 6 p.m. with the opening of food and beer sales. Featured will be Rock Island Parks and Recreation concession stand with the brats and hot dogs. Come out and enjoy the fun. 